Hey, uh, how you going anyway? All right? Yeah, busy day. Yeah, had to go outside for about 45 minutes. So I was glad when I had the came back and I realized I left my aircon on. So, Oh, man, you don't go outside in that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten. Uh, I had to go, yeah, I'd forgotten uh, someone was coming up and I was going to show them around the observatory. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, I got a mate who lives up north. And that's what he says to me. He's like, mate, you don't go out because sometimes it'll be 48 up there, you know, and I'll say, mate, yeah. what's, what's that like? You know, and he goes, oh, mate, you don't go outside in that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I just first of all, just want to say thanks for coming on. I appreciate your, uh, your time and uh, no worries. On, having a chat to me. Do you, uh, are you, do you live local as well or? Uh, I lived in Kalamunda since 2006, but I've moved to Swanview recently. So, oh, okay. yeah, the last couple of years I've been in Swanview. Yeah, okay, yeah. So well, still I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just curious because I'm basically like, yeah, right in Bickley, not far from the observatory, basically. <laughs> when my son yeah. goes on driving lessons, we go down that road. <laughs> Nice. Uh, so, did you grow up? Uh, so, did you grow up grow up around here, or did you grow up somewhere else? Or uh, pr- pretty much moved around a bit. So, I I, I was in large chunks in Northern, uh, and then oh, my yeah. dad got a promotion, so we moved to Sydney for ten years, and then we moved back to West Australia in two thousand six, and been in the Perth Hills since then. So uh, okay. yeah, so you, you were sort of finished school by the time you got back here, or yeah. So I was already in university, so I'd already done one year of university when I when I moved back. So yeah, uh, okay. And then so yeah, what do you mind me asking? What you did at university? Yeah, so I did a bachelor of information technology uh, at Edith Cowan oh. University. So. Thankfully, that was back in the days when it was still at uh, Mount Lully, not Joondalup. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they moved it. Oh, okay, interesting. And so did you, How you know, like how did you end up? Because obviously I'll ask you about your role at Bickley, but I'm kind of just like to ask people where they grew up and it gives you a bit of sense of them, you know. And, and yeah. so, yeah, did you sort of pretty much do other jobs after that or did you go straight to working at the observatory? What did life so, look like after uni? I... Yeah, so I was a website developer for, uh, well, during uni and before uni, but so I, I, between 2009 and up to about 2016, I was a website developer. I actually started okay, yeah. at the Perth Observatory um, as a volunteer on the Night Sky Tours uh, in t- uh, 2014 so my intake was the last intake before the volunteer group took over the running of the observatory so um yeah so that's that's how i kind of got into perth observatory uh into perth observatory and i became tour administrator a couple of years after be uh, after becoming a volunteer oh, okay interesting and so what made you go do the volunteer stuff were you always like interested in stars and space and all that kind of stuff or <laughs> 
Yeah, so I, I so I got into space and astronomy uh, back probably around about ninety five. My uh, they made a big deal that um, space shuttle Columbia was going to be flying over West Australia, and uh, my dad took me outside and we watched it fly over Northern, and that that really started to get me hooked on space and astronomy. Uh, so, um, and there was also a TV show on ABC for kids called look up as well, which was a Canadian show that came on, uh, about the same time. So that got me into space and astronomy and I always loved it. I just never saw a path out, uh, into astronomy. Uh, and I, my, wasn't the best student in, in, when it came to exams. So I didn't get the marks I needed to, you know, to actually go do physics or that it's at university. And I, I, I took the road most traveled and <laughs> became a website yeah. developer, but I, I probably always knew more about astronomy than I did building websites. So it was my mum that actually found the, um, an advert for uh, the observatory wanting volunteers in the Echo and had mentioned it to me. And so I applied and had an interview and got somehow got accepted. And uh, it's been, yeah, it's coming up to 10 years, uh, volunteering at least. So, Wow, there's a little bit to unpack there. So Space Shuttle 95, I'm pretty sure I remember that. Um, so that's interesting. So something that was kind of like something you saw that was tangible, was what really sparked your interest. Yeah, and that you know that was before the International Space Station. So it was Space yeah. Shuttle Columbia as well. So that was my shuttle from then on. And it was a little bit devastating in 2004, waking up and turning on uh, on the news and seeing that it disintegrated. So, but uh, yeah, yeah. Like just straight after that, it was just really checking you know, watching any documentary I could, uh, getting on the internet and, you know, reading all the news and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was... Um, yeah, because even then, like, internet was early days. Like, I think I got my first internet account in 96. So, man, I'm, like, 51. So, uh, yeah, but, um, yeah, so that's... I find that interesting, that one, like, a single event somehow sometimes just triggers something and... Um, you're probably already going down that path anyway, and yeah, and like then before you said no internet, and the, and there wasn't much in the sky then, like there was no Starlink, there was no satellites like today. Yeah, uh, there there was Mia, but like I can I remember seeing Mia later on the Russian space station. It wasn't that bright, like it, it was. I think I got to see it on its third last orbit of the earth before it burned up and it was really bright like bright as in the international space station being as bright as it can be but it was not really noticeable where international uh, where columbia was very bright so yeah it was just completely stunned the sun me and oh yeah it was it was really good it was really good hobby to get it uh get into yeah well you kind of went about the right way too because like sometimes i've had a few things in life myself where like you're better off keeping it as a hobby rather than a job. And sometimes it's a fine line defining oh, what, you know, what that should be. And, you know, cause I was interested in meteorology and had like a period of my life where I was 
you know, doing research, um, giving it to the Bureau, chasing tornadoes and stuff like that. But I kind of realised, like, there was no – the physics in that involved. I was like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, um, when it comes to that kind of stuff, man, like, I'm out, you know. I tell people when it comes to physics, I'm a pretty good painter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, and, like, I, at that time I was – a bit, you know, interested in you know whether like tornadoes and that kind of stuff, volcanoes, dinosaurs, Thomas Tank Engine. Pretty much after that, it was just like I don't care about those. Um, just space. So yeah, yeah, okay. And so when so you said ten years. So do you mind me asking how? So how old were you when you first went to Bickley then? Uh, so 2014, so I was 28 at the time, so, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, it's interesting. So you, you've sort of had a bit of a taste of life, kind of figured out this is what you want to do. Yeah, it was, it was, it was nice to come, you know, it's not every, not every time you get to actually do something you really love, uh, even if it's a hobby. So, um, yeah, I was very oh. thankful that I was able to, you know, at least do something with it and just instead of just constantly following it up, um, you know, just keeping up the reading the news, I could actually get to share the passion with my passion for it with other people as well. Yeah, I guess that's the fun part. Is that one of the most enjoyable parts of the job? Yeah, I, I, I really, especially when the kids come up, you know, young kids, like we've had a bit of four-year-old at Astrofest, which is uh, where all the WA astronomy groups come up together and put on a big free astronomy festival for the public down in um, Curtin University. One year we had Violet come up and uh, she wanted to discuss dwarf planets and her favourite <laughs> dwarf planet was uh, Eris. And I was like, oh, why not Pluto? Because everyone likes Eris. Uh, everyone loves Pluto, but uh, she liked Eris. And we've had you know, another, we had an eight-year-old want to come up and on a night sky tour and want to discuss um dark matter and it's like that's a year 11 or 12 subject and i've got an eight-year-old yeah. talking about it so it's it's great being able to share that passion and seeing people's reactions when they see saturn as well and you know getting to do some pretty awesome stuff as well like um you know i went up to the eclipse um uh last year in Exmouth and I got to live stream that to over a hundred million people for time and date yeah. in Perth Observatory. I, I've gone and, you know, I didn't think I'd ever help NASA, but I've, you know, 2022, I went to Shark Bay and helped um, record an occultation of two asteroids passing in front of a star so that the Lucy mission uh knew what the shape of the asteroids that uh, that it's going to be visiting in 2033 occur. So I've done, you know, I've, uh, you know, not, I've been part, able to do research and, uh, you know, when I didn't think I would, I've, I've been able to do it. Recently I did a TEDx talk and I've wanted to do one for ages and never thought I'd be able to do one. And I, you know, I did. So it's, it's, wow. really, yeah, it's, it's been pretty amazing to you know, not only be able to share the passion, but also do some pretty amazing stuff as well. Man, think about all those things you just said. Like, seriously, man, that's so fucking cool. Like, doing work for NASA. And then, like, I remember the X-Mouth stuff, actually, because I saw you on the news. You are all over the news. And you and the other person, interestingly enough, they seemed to interview a lot up there was Jenny Lurch. Uh, her and Matt yeah. own the Blue Water. I don't know if you know them. So I worked with Jenny back in the day on a fishing TV show. 
Um, so I remember sitting back thinking, like, this Matt Good guy, because I was like, I don't know him, but I was like, I knew who you were. I was like, this guy's from Bickley and Jenny's on the news and I'm watching this. It was Even for me, it was pretty trippy. It was like, yeah, man, honestly, that's so cool to be able to do that sort of stuff, you know, and, like, it all started by volunteering. Yeah, yeah and, you know, it's, that's, that was basically a year and a half, particularly the, uh, the eclipse, you know, I'd first heard about that about seven years ago in a meeting for Astrofest. And you think, yeah, yeah it's so far away. Yeah. And, but you start, you do have to start making some plans. And then you Time get COVID. And, yeah. And, and then, like, all of a sudden, you know, COVID comes along and you completely forget about it. And then you realize it's two years away. And then it's a yeah. year. Uh, and then you've got to start really planning because stuff is starting to be booked out and all that kind of stuff. And um, then it's a year and a half away, then a year, and then it's six months. And, you know, the last, that six months, I was hardly getting any sleep doing my own job and then also planning this. And, yeah, on, then you're, uh, you're leaving to go up to, <laughs> to Exmouth. Yeah. Like it would took about six days beforehand. And, real. you know, even – even on the trip, this stuff's going on. Like I accidentally broke the Nikon camera that we were going to use to live stream. It fell off the oh, tripod. Nice. And oh, I know, it's like just looking at it and just going, I am so oh. dead. Did you have that? <laughs> no. Thankful, thankfully we did. So one of my teammates who's a colleague of mine, um, she had brought an extra camera and we're in Murchison mm. Settlement. So Normally, there wouldn't be any mobile reception or internet there, but thankfully, they were having a festival there, so they had a, a Telstra mo um, portable mobile tower there, so we were able to FaceTime her husband, who was able to find the T-ring with the uh, an adapter which connects the camera to the... Um, <laughs> To the, to the telescope, and I had uh, Stefan from Time and Date flying over. He was still in Singapore about to, uh, to fly to Perth. So uh, her husband met Stefan at the airport, gave him the tea ring and saved, saved my bacon. So, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So if you're going to break it, uh, if you're going to break a camera, <laughs> I did it at the best time because I was able to fix it in time. So, yeah, so yeah, wow. so we, we were able to live stream. So, it, you know, it's all these little things, uh, that go on, like on the way back from Murchison to Mulawa, uh, with to do an astronomy night there before we made the final all the way up to Exmouth. Um, we were, we had a mini bus and we were pulling the trailer with the mini bus and, uh, a stone got flicked up, hit the back of the trailer, and then hit the um, hit the back window and sh shattered it. And like, I heard the I heard a pop. I went, "What's that?" And everyone was like, "No, no, nothing's no, nothing." Didn't hear anything. And um, ten minutes later, one of the volunteers, Jacob, goes, "Matt, it's getting a bit breezy back here." And you pull over, and I just saw in the rear view mirror. Yep the window was broken and so like we could have lost a whole heap of gear out there the only thing that uh, that seemed to be ejected from the car was uh one of the other volunteers ted's his pillow which uh, uh we went back and got and so we cleaned out the back of the car but again that's you know it's another story for the trip as well so yeah it was it was doing um you know going to useless loop on the way back down and 
the last three hundred, uh, the last three hundred was the last hundred k's took a hundred kilometers. Uh, so the last hundred kilometers took three hours because of the road was so bad, and realizing you're going to have to drive back that same road um, yeah. the next morning. But you know, you're just enjoying being in useless loop because it was just amazing scenery there. So, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, pretty, it's, it, it's pretty remote and. Um, yeah, all those random things you just said. There's a uh, a guy I follow, Steve Ranella, and he says this thing about having fun, right? And he reckons the most fun that you ever actually have is when you think you're not having fun at the time, but when you think back like 12 months later and you say, oh, I remember the time that rock like bounced off the trailer and went through the yeah. windscreen and we were like, and he's, that's actually the most fun, that stuff, you know? Looking, yeah, looking back, yeah, the, um, you know, my – my uh, my hands shaking after all the bumpiness and that of the road because we had the trailer on, so you couldn't you know all those bumps you felt extra. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. yeah, looking back, being able to leave, hey, I got to go to useless loop when most people don't get to, and I got to see some pretty amazing uh, scenery there and do an astronomy night for the folks there as well. So, yeah, yeah, it's pretty remote. I've been there. It's uh, it's a, it's a long way out. So. Um, what I did want to ask you about, so um, going back to Bickley, um, also the other, the other thing I should add, I always, I always reckon, right, because my son asked me one day, I'm just going to sidetrack real quick. He says, Dad, flat earthers, like, what do you say? You know, I said, just tell them eclipse. <laughs> right? So yeah. I always, whenever I see eclipses, I always think of the flat earthers. I think, I wonder what they say about that shadow. <laughs> I've got one of those uh, badges, the NASA badges, you know, not flat, we've checked. So. Yeah, so. I actually reckon uh, I've I got another theory. I reckon Flat Earthers is just like a piss take. I reckon it's like a bunch of rich lawyers that got together and just wanted to sell T-shirts or something. But it's like they can't be serious. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so anyway, getting back to Bickley, so I wanted to ask you about the actual – like physics of the telescope. So, because that site, because um, I actually went there because I went to Carmel just here nearby, and I, I went there like, oh, man, I was thinking it's probably like I'm going to have to say about 30 years ago, <laughs> uh, maybe even a bit more, like uh, when mm. I was in high school. So I don't sort of remember a lot about it, and I haven't been uh, recently. It's always on my list of things to do, but, you know, it's like life gets in the way in the last few years. It's been a bit crazy. So, yeah, what's the... What's the actual, uh, you know, physics? Tell me a bit about the actual physical, you know, telescopes, what you've got there. So I think we've got around about 40 telescopes at the observatory. Uh, most of them would be probably backup telescopes for night sky tours and our offsite events uh, where we go offsite into the country. Uh, so up here, um, we have so. We've got the probably the three big telescopes to talk about was the original telescope for Perth, uh, the research telescope called the Astrographic Telescope. Because yeah, it started uh, out as the Perth Observatory, is that right? Yeah, so we were originally down in – it started off in uh, West Perth on Mount Eliza just across the road from, uh, from Kings yeah. Park. And there they had a transit meridian telescope. So this is a telescope that moves only in north and south and it's used right. to catalogue stars at their highest point. Yep. And it's used to also find uh, where Perth was in terms of longitude. Latitude uh, is pretty easy to find uh, because if you're in the northern hemisphere, you just 
find Polaris, which is the pole star there, and find how high that is in the north sky. We have to do a little bit of extra work here in the southern hemisphere using the southern cross and the pointers. And uh, so Perth is around 32 degrees south. So any... It's an, uh, the astrographic telescope is an equatorial mount telescope. So the telescope uh, has a, its mount is actually pointing 32 degrees into the south, and then the, okay. you can actually rotate around. Oh, yeah, you can actually rotate yep, the telescope yep. around there. Um, so with the uh, with the transit meridian telescope, um, that basically found exactly where West Australia was or where Perth was on the globe, which meant we could then provide time. For, for Western Australia, uh, ah, okay. the yeah the astrographic telescope, uh, which was they were bought as a pair. Um, the astrographic telescope is two telescopes. There's one which was the glass plate uh, telescope, so basically a massive big camera, which is a 13 inch telescope, and then there's another tube there which you look through, which is about 11 inches, and so uh, that's and then it has a counterweight on the other side. So as you turn the telescope, um, it looks, it's almost like, you know, in terms of what's called right ascension, east-west movement, um, it, it looks like a clock turning um, and then you can just move it in north or west or what's called declination. So they're good for, equatorial telescopes are good uh, for taking photographs because you've got that um, nice, uh, perfectly circular mo- uh, movements, uh, unlike telescopes um, which have like a fork mount. So you've got the uh, the tube is in the middle, and then there's arms that connect to the tube um, halfway up the telescope, and because it's more like a digital signal. So to make a to go in a circle, you've got to go sideways, up, sideways, up, sideways, up, and so you, no, it's not. Yeah. They're not absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're, it's equatorial mounts are really good for research and that. Um, the wow, you wouldn't think that the way you mount a telescope makes a big difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, um, and there's also the Calva telescope, which is the Perth's very first public uh, telescope. So they'd already they always had Tuesdays back in the in the very beginning um, for their public viewing nights. So even in it was one of the big stipulations that they actually had to do public uh, outreach uh, even back in the 1890s and early, uh, in the earliest 20th century. And so it was so popular that it was actually eating into research time. So with Comet Halley coming into the inner solar system back in 1910, Sir William Ernest Cook, our very first governor astronomer, was able to purchase uh, get money from the government to buy another telescope which would be purely for the public and so uh, yeah. it's about 113 i think it's about 113 11 111 years old now the telescope but wow. it's still really it's still really nice and it's used on our night sky tours uh yep. so for the public and then we have our the telescope dome on the big pillars, which people might have seen in, uh, that's the Perth Lowell Telescope Dome. So that's we got that telescope from Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, they were oh, okay. running the NASA's International Planetary Patrol Program, which was a 
program uh, to keep an eye on Venus, Mars, uh, Jupiter, and Saturn. And uh, so we had to take photos of those planets while they're in the night sky every night and then send that data back from 1970 to 1974. Uh, And then that something like 41% of all the images taken from that project out of the seven telescopes around the world, 41% of those images they used came from our telescope. And that hard work led on to, that's the telescope that co-discovered the rings of Uranus. So we made that joke even dirtier. Uh, (laughs) It also studied, that was in 1977. Uh, It studied Comet Halley again in 1986. Uh, and then it was automated in 92 and it was doing supernova searches. Uh, it was doing asteroid searches, exoplanet searches from the uh, 90s into the late 2000s before official research was finished up there. So, so they're the two, they're the two or the three main. Is that the telescopes. one that you main see in the photos? Is that the one that you? Yeah. Yeah, it's about the dome is about 14.5 meters up in the air to get above the trees and also scintillation. Uh, It's about 69 steps to climb up there. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's so awesome. A couple of things I want to ask you about that. So, the telescope coming from Arizona, and also, so did they have that before they moved to Bickley? Because they moved to Bickley about 50 years ago, I think. Is that right? And was that mainly just because of the light pollution from the city and Bickley was just like a better spot geographically? Yeah. So 55, they had the Stephenson-Hepburn report, which was a base a plan on how Perth was going to grow. And wow. so they were going to demolish the observatory. And uh, so what's their um, – they did end up demolishing where the domes were and cutting into Mount Eliza. And where they've cut into it is uh, Dumas House, where the state ministers and their staff work now. Uh, but oh, there yeah. was supposed to be that. about five. Yep, there was supposed to be about five of, including that building, five of those buildings, and uh, that would be where all the public service would be. Um, so they will be right next to Parliament House, and right, they were just yeah. going to close down the observatory. But there was going to be there uh, that was going to be in the early '60s. So '63 was when they started doing the demolishment. Uh, but there was a massive big writing campaign by the Perth uh, community and also the astronomical community as well. And so the government basically decided, right, we're going to find a wow. new place to go. And so I, th- from what I know, the, it was either going to be Bickley or Mount Dale, um, and they oh, ended well, up that's going. What- Sorry, yeah. because I was I was going to uh, ask so they, Yeah, so they were going to so they decided Bickley, and so from sixty three they started clearing the land, and sixty six was when they had when okay. that's when they actually opened up the observatories. So yeah, I was yeah. going to ask you about Mount Dale. Was there is it just because it's a bit further out, or do you know a bit further the out? Why? Yeah, yeah. I it was a bit. It was further out. Well. Yeah, it, it, it is further out. So from the observatory, it takes about half an hour to drive to Mount Dale. Um, yeah. But uh, it, Mount Dale is also incredible, a lot harder to get to. There's a, there's a decent part yeah. of that trip, which is on Gravel Road. And I went up there last year and uh, yeah. I could see why they chose Bickley instead. There's there's It's beautiful out there, uh, but – and there's n- – Definitely noticeable. There's more um, 
not as much light pollution from Perth, but uh, yeah, it was probably a step too far back in the 60s. Yeah, it's kind of what I figured. I just wondered because, like, I've always been interested in this, guys. Anytime there's something, let's say, right, like, I that's generally where I go. Or if I've got visitors, mm. um, like, you know, I've had friends come from other places and they just kind of want to see the stars, so to speak, you know, the Milky Way. So if I time it, I go on a new moon. So when there's basically no moon and I go out to Mount Dale and take them up there and it normally it's normally a pretty good show. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I think there was some talk in the '90s of um, of actually moving the observatory to Mount Dale or another oh, really? place, but it ne- it never ended up happening. So, yeah, yeah. I think Bickley kind of suits it now because it's kind of close. It's close to the city still, really, and it's yeah. One thing amazed me too about what you were saying there: how popular it is. Like you know, even when it looked like they were going to shut it down, the people were like, "No." Yeah. Oh, look, look, I'm looking at the, just double checking the, uh, you know, we're about a month ahead of schedule in turn, or it's actually two months ahead of schedule in our night sky tours booking. So, yeah, it is very, definitely very popular with the locals, which is fantastic because it, you know, it made it, it was so, um, when after COVID, lockdowns you know a lot of businesses tourism businesses were struggling to get people where we did not have that issue it's we've always had an issue of trying to get space for international people who haven't booked before they've left so um so it's it's a nice problem to have that and we're very thankful that the wa uh, public supports us so well yeah it's just something that seems to cross like all boundaries too like all ages all people like I guess, um, you know, because, you know, looking up in the night sky, the sheer weight of numbers, it's um, it's hard not to be, like, uh, overwhelmed by it, you know. Yeah, and, like, Perth's pretty good in terms of that it's growing north and south and light pollution has increased. Uh, definitely probably the last five years I've noticed it increase. But you don't get as good a skies as we do uh, 40 minutes out of Perth from uh, from the CBD um, anywhere else. I've, I've been to quite a lot of cities and you go 40 minutes out of the CBD and the yeah. light pollution is still really bad. Well, We had yeah. 2017, we had Neil deGrasse Tyson here and he was just completely stunned with the sky, uh, with the night, how good our night sky was. And yeah, uh, right. one of our volunteers is like, oh, yeah, but we do lose about 30 to 40% of the uh, in the West. He goes, Steve, I'm comparing this to Manhattan. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. someone I've uh, followed and listened to many podcasts. I like Neil. He's, uh, he's, um, some people, he rubs people out the wrong way sometimes, but I like the fact that he's just kind of like, yeah, when, when you want to like, when you want some uh, realism, just go to listen to Neil. And he's willing to, and he's also willing to talk to anyone as well. And that's kind of what I'm, you know, I, I don't mind talking to uh, anyone who wants to talk about the observatory or space. I'm, yep, I'll, I'll, I'll get up at, yeah, there's been some, <laughs> some phone calls from radio stations when there's maybe Starlink has flown over or there's been a meteor and it's like four or three five in the morning and it's like hello you're the like, you're the go-to give, like give me five minutes and i'll sound so much better and then yeah get on and yep so so yeah, yeah i think i've heard you on 6pr a couple of times actually yeah, yeah. Something happens i hear you on there and i keep thinking oh i gotta get that guy on 
so yeah, so basically going back to the observatory. So what's the main function now? Is that because you said before research ended? Is there still any sort of research going on? Is or is it mainly tours? What's the main function there? So official research finished in two thousand and ten. So that was when the last astronomers were uh, were paid in, uh, astronomers were here. Um, So we still have a couple of telescopes that are connected through the internet. Uh, So there's uh, RCOP, which is on Skynet, not Terminator Skynet, uh, but uh, Skynet run by, (laughs) run by uh, North Carolina, University of North Carolina. So people can log into the uh, Skynet web application and borrow book time on the telescope. Uh, We also have, another telescope that's here uh, run by Comspock and it's looking for space junk and satellites so that they can send that data Mm. on to uh, telecommunications satellites. So funny enough, it it came online, uh, I think, to about 2017-18 and it was about a couple of months uh, before the Indians had taken out one of the their old satellites. So they were able to track the space junk Course from the explosion, um, and like we've got our, our night sky cameras that are looking for uh, meteors, and so there's been research papers done from that. So there is, while we aren't employing astronomers, uh, that we are still what trying. You know, we're still um, still contributing data. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and there's a couple of stuff that's in the uh, in the uh, you know iron filings in the work. So. Um, that hopefully will come off in the next year or two. Uh, that you know, so you know, I don't think we'll ever employ astronomers ever again. But the observatory yeah. is there. No, well, is there for people to be able to use to do astronomy? But our main focus nowadays is public outreach. So night sky tours, uh, school day tours, guided day tours, workshops like astrophotography workshops. We've got astronomy one hundred and one and. 102 courses uh so and you know we have our annual summer lecture our annual open day um you know we've done you know we 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 pretty much don't say no we've had weddings we've had music bands do video (laughs) clips up here we've had concerts movie nights uh so yeah we're wow um it's it's amazing. You know, there's been a, uh, ABC did their stargazing live record attempt, and we were one of the locations. So yeah, so it was, you know, if, uh, we're we're always willing to try and do as much as possible here at the observatory. Busy man, weddings. Mm. <laughs> that sounds interesting. Yeah, that yeah. Weddings. So uh, that was the same week. We the last one we did was the same weekend as the my TEDx talk. So I by the end by the end of that weekend I was just run off my feet. So yeah. yeah remind me to get that link off you uh when we wrap up. Send me the link, I'll put it in the comments uh, so people can go have Unfortunately, a look. Unfortunately it hasn't well. been released yet. So no, no. So it's it's well, keep I check the, the loop. Uh, Yeah, but I will yeah definitely will uh we'll let you know when it's when I, uh, when it comes through, so I'm looking forward to it because there's a few, there quite a lot of my friends are like no no there's a there's an unauthorized version <laughs> that was yeah, recorded right. even though people were told not to record, um, oh, okay. but uh, but um, there there's going to be there's a whole bunch of my friends and that are waiting for the 
for the actual uh, one that was recorded. So yeah, so hope you know, I'm looking forward to it to coming out yeah, again. So one. yeah, I'd be interested to uh, to see that for sure. Actually, so I've got two questions going back in my notes here before I yeah. forget. So I wanted to ask you, Neil deGrasse. So who else do you do you follow uh, when it comes to like all this kind of stuff? Do you have uh, a couple of names you can hit me with? Because I'm always keen to uh, like learn more. Do you follow anyone in particular sort of thing? Uh, so there's uh, Pamela Gay, Dr. Pamela Gay and Fraser Kane. For, uh, they do astro as an astronomy cast. So I've listened to them for oh, decades now. Oh, uh, Stuart Gary, who that, used yeah. to do – yeah, Stuart Gary, who used to do star stuff on ABC and uh, Radio National uh, – they uh he this is going back now um over 10 years they finished the program and he started up space time uh podcast so he's another one to listen to space uh time. there's the pl- yeah uh planetary radio uh which is done by the planet society which is uh, bill nye's the science guys uh space advocacy group is really good as well um oh yeah paul Sutter has a, so Paul as in Paul the name and then Matt as in Matthew and then uh, his surname Sutter uh, has Ask a Spaceman, which is another really good podcast. Um, How do you spell that? Sorry. Ask a Sutter as in, uh, yeah, Ask a, uh, so no, Sutter is, a, uh, Ask a Spaceman. So, oh, Ask yep. a Spaceman. Yep, cool. Yep. yep. Um, and then, yeah, there's yeah, Dr. Fred Watson as well, who's the uh, – oh, yeah, he's he does Space Nuts as well. So, yeah, um, yeah and there's, a, you know, there's all sorts of like Netflix and that now have, oh, uh, have so space many. documentaries and all. Yeah. So, like, there's always faces that you'll see um, and you go, oh, I've seen you know, – I know him. Oh, I remember him. I, the, the Alex Spillerman Pinto, I think his name is, was constantly uh, on some of a lot of these podcast, uh, these documentaries. Uh, Chris um, McCarthy, who's a, geo- a space geologist and who's into Mars. Yeah, it's, it's funny because uh, I've you know Steve Squires, who was running the uh, Spirit and Opportunity uh, rover mich- uh, missions. Um, and then he, I think he's gone over to Spirit, uh, to Curiosity and Perseverance rovers now. Like I've, oh, I've yeah. seen these guys go from young, young guys to to my age now to really, you know, really old <laughs> as I've grown yeah. up. So yeah, so it's it's interesting when you when you watch all you know, as many documentaries about a subject you like you see the same faces over and over and over and you see new faces as well there's um carolyn porco who's uh was the lead uh, who worked on voyager one and two's imaging team and then was the lead investigator for the cassini um for the cassini's uh, imaging team uh she's amazing as well um and so uh so yeah so it's there's a lot of people out there that you can follow and um and yeah there's some good uh, ones learn so out. much from yeah there's so much content these days and that's kind of part of what's what I love about podcasting isn't that as well is that you know the sharing of information now is getting pretty crazy um one other question I want to ask when you were saying before that that uh, they were using the 
I was interested when you said the telescope for a time had been used to like like find space junk. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, as somebody who you know looks spends a fair bit of time like looking at the skies, I'm sure you're aware of this. Um, but have you ever heard of the uh, the Black Knight satellite? No, the- I haven't. No. Oh, really? I thought you might no. have heard of that. It's a um, I heard about it through a podcast, and I just wondered whether you'd ever like heard anything about it. That's all. But um, yeah, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. But uh, so no, what happened was basically there's this big 15 ton object, and um, there's a there's a photo you can go on NASA's website. Um, yeah, I just haven't looked at it now yet. Yeah, look up Black Knight, and you'll see there's actual pictures of it. And look, they call it space junk. But here's the interesting thing about it, right? Which I find interesting. Tesla was the first person actually like in the 50s, I think, to, uh, you know, pick it up and realize, oh, no, sorry, uh, 1899, yeah, Tesla. Hmm. Um, And then he basically picked it up and figured out, oh, there's a big object there. And then uh, fast forward through history, um, got to a point where the Russians kind of thought it was the Americans. The Americans thought it was the Russians. And they were like, well, if this thing's 15 tons estimated size, we, we, we don't. We can't launch anything that's fifteen tons. And the Americans were like, "Neither can us." And it's apparently it's out there. It's like it's it's legit. It's orbiting the Earth. It's one of these like mm. great mysteries of the Earth because I'm right into like ancient Egypt and all that stuff as well. And it's I just sort of yeah wondered whether you'd never had ever seen it or heard about it or anything or had any thoughts because apparently you know the authorities basically just kind of leave it alone because the thought is. You know, uh, if it is from somewhere else, don't mess with it, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I always, I, I just sort of had that on my list of stuff yeah. to ask you about. Um, I, I think there there is alien life out there. Um, it, you know, I think if we ever find anything, it will be probably most likely bacterial life first. Uh, like it's. You know, it's, it seems to be incredibly hard to start life, but if you know, it's it it's pretty hard to kill off life once it gets started. Uh, so, yes, the the thing is, is that space is incredibly big. Like, if you were to shrink the sun down to the size of a pool ball, and have that in uh, in the C- Perth CBD. Um, the pool ball that would re- represent the uh, it's the Alpha Centauri system would be located in into Karatha, so yeah, right. you're looking <laughs> at probably massive. about over fifteen hundred kilometers. Uh, you know, you're around that fifteen hundred kilometers away between uh, between yeah. Perth and Karatha. So it's. That's the closest uh, point. You, you would imagine. You would imagine. Yeah, that's the closest star to our uh, to our sun. Um, you would imagine that if you had the ability to travel uh, faster than light, uh, you you wouldn't have maybe like jackass type people. <laughs> but again, you can't. Well, you can't. You know, they, they there might be. You can't rule. You know, you can't necessarily rule out that some. Uh, some alien is playing shits and giggles with us. <laughs> well, you kind of jump into what I wanted to ask you about next, because um, one of the fav- one of my favourite subjects, right, is uh, UFOs and UAPs, and you know mm. I've been honestly following it literally since the seventies. 
Um, and like back in the day, you know, I used to have to order VHS tapes from America. And now we've got like, you know, I'm sure you've seen the Tic Tac footage and all this kind of stuff. So I sort of wondered, yeah, what your thoughts as someone who looks at the sky a lot and also has obviously studied all this kind of stuff, you know, what are your thoughts mm -hmm. about this? Because it's a pretty popular subject at the moment. It's been talked about a lot. It's been on the news. The Congress has, uh, you know, had hearings. And David Grosh, I'm sure you know who he is. So, yeah, I'd be interested mm -hmm. to know what your thoughts are on, on all that. Um, I think it's probably more terrestrial, maybe what the US or Russia and China are doing. Um, but, again, like, the US was flying the one, uh, the F one seventeen Nighthawk, uh, for about ten years before they actually yeah. announced announced it. So, and I, that's what probably one of my back as a kid, I would have done anything to be able to work at something like Lockheed uh, Skunk Works or um, Boeing or Boeing's uh, Phantom Works. So you can only yeah. imagine what they're working on. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, this is I the think thing. Was, they're, I kind work, of... they're working on the um, the Americans have have announced that they've got they've already got the uh, they're working on their sixth generation fighter to replace the F twenty two, and you know that they've already had test flights with it, and it's so, uh, and also with a lot of it with the um, you know there's a lot of work being done on drones, so. A lot of those movements, you know, you don't you you can do with uh, with aircraft that don't require a human. Uh, so uh, it, I, I would love to know what it is. It, like, you know, it, it'd be, you know, it would be, I look, I would think it'd be so cool if it was aliens. <laughs> but um, but you know, uh, it's. I think so. You basically it's think most it's military tech, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, again, it just goes. Damn it! I wish I was working for Lockheed Martin or or Boeing. Well, probably more oh, more yeah. Lockheed Martin or Boeing than Boeing at the moment with how Boeing is going. <laughs> but, yeah, knows. but um, yeah, but yeah. Look, it, well, it would be very cool to see what you've never like. seen anything. You never had any kind of seen anything like that. Uh, no, not really. Um, I, I I have the. I have a really bad luck in seeing meteors. Like it always happens behind my back or <laughs> if I'm in the office or if I've, you know, if I'm at home, like I still, yeah. I, I still not have, I haven't seen a convoy of Starlink satellites. I, oh, really? So, no, I've I still seen haven't seen it. Yeah. I, seen you think for someone times. who's, yeah, I, I just, there's times where I've, I've actually purposely gone and, uh, you know, made the attempt and put put the alarm in on my clock, and then I've just completely slept through my alarm. So yeah, it's, right. yeah, because yeah, we, we go. Some, it's still on, sure. it's, sorry, well, yeah, it's sure still it was on my, my son, my son and I went outside and watched it fly over. So yeah, so yeah, basically, so your thoughts are pretty much like military tech. Mine's pretty much the same. And look, I well, I I've got a few different theories, um, and. I actually think there's a bit of everything going on or not that there is a bit of everything going on, but I think there's a high, there's a high probability, high chance. And a couple of reasons why, um, you know, like depictions of aliens or whatever you want to call them go back like to cave paintings, you know? So mm. it's kind of, that, I kind of think 
maybe there's something that's kind of always been here that's, uh, you know, just like we just don't see it um, uh, in terms of like, uh, not that it's fourth dimensional, but I don't know if you've seen like the, the, the footage that's coming out of some of the military zones, like the flying squid and the tic-tac, uh, what you said about the crafts, but, you know, and then I've been right down the rabbit hole, man, t- trust me, like serious deep. And, you know, most of, you know, even UAPs, what they do, you know, the the buzzing when they buzz the Nimitz, uh, Commander David Fravor, when they film the tic-tac going from 60,000 feet to like the water level, and that's actually not out of this world. Like if you, if you go down the rabbit hole, most of that tech, it not only exists right but it existed like mm. a long time ago and one of the things i'll never forget right is i got one of these vhs tapes i think it was about roswell and um and i've changed my mind about that over the years um but you know as it's coming out now you know gary nolan and a couple of other people have in their possession material from that craft he's a proper scientist um, so that gets my attention, like 100%. So I think there's probably like a little bit of everything going on. Have they been here from other planets? I don't think so. And my mate Corbett sums it up perfectly. He's like, well, okay, let's say we've got the technology, right? You and me, Matt, let's go somewhere, right? Where are we going, right? Now, you and I know, right, if you're 0.1 of one degree off, right, to wherever you're yeah. going because the distance is incredible, you're going to run into some whole other system. So, like, but then there's a lot of theories coming around now about, you know, quantum entanglement and being able – and, look, you know, going back in the day, I'm not sure if you crossed this, but Tesla and, you know, Da Vinci and all these guys actually did say all these things are possible. And even Einstein actually said, look, I think gravity waves can bend, right? But he said, I don't think it happens. And it wasn't until 2012 actually off the coast of WA – that that data was finally confirmed that like oh actually they do bend so yeah it could just be stuff that you know we just don't know about yet um but i think most of like what goes on is government tech and what i was going to say about that vhs tape yeah i never forget there was heaps of info on there right now i couldn't tell you half of it but i remember this right there was a guy who was a legit ex uh cia agent retired guy 75 years old and all i remember is at the end of one of the videos he said this right he said whatever technology you think they got now right he goes imagine in your wildest dreams what you think they got he said they had that 50 years ago yeah (laughs) exactly what you said about the plane so i think uh, i think what happens over time is just a few people at the top of the world in the military not illuminati or anything but i think military industrial complex and Boeing and these other places, a few people probably have knowledge of this tech and, you know, they don't want they don't want to, like, give it, just give it away, you know what I mean? And the other thing is it could pose a, a security threat too, you know. There are very legitimate reports of these things coming into nuclear silos and disarming, like, all the stuff. Hmm. And there's places like DARPA as well, which are, you know, they're working on technology that might not necessarily be released right now you know sometimes yes. you know it's, it's stop start you know you get to the point where we just we don't have the technology at the time and then um you know comes back and you know 20 you know 10 20 years later and they do some more work and you know it might come out then or it might actually then you know they have to uh let's put it away again and they'll come back to it so there's you know there's 
you know, I think Abrams tank or something like that. That was uh, there's been a number of ver- there was a number of versions in the lead up to the, the actual tank itself. They I think the Americans had worked with the with the Germans, and then the Germans went out uh, decided, oh no, we we're sick and tired of working with the Americans. We'll go off and do the Leopard tank, and then the Americans came back and well, we've got all this technology, you know, we'll work on the we'll come back to it, and then they ended up building the Abrams tank as well. So. You know, yes. there's quite yeah there's a lot of you know people think just you know all of a sudden it uh, it comes um you know something is developed straight out of the blue there's a lot of, usually a lot of work that uh over years and decades go into this kind of stuff well the story kind of is going amongst the community that a lot of these are back in, back engineering so crashed craft that they've found and now they're so they kind of got him, but they don't really know how they work. That's the Bob Lazar story. Mm. He basically says he was hired. And I think, tech, you know, because if you believe David Grosh as well, he said, like the Italians, he reckons, got their first hands on one in the 20s or the 30s. And, like, there's a lot of people that will argue and say, oh, you can't keep that stuff a secret for 100 years. Uh, uh, I, I disagree. What you just said then about the tanks and the planes, like, you can keep it a secret. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, the F F one seventeen was a perfect example of that. You know, yeah, people people were getting photos of of the F one seventeen, and it was ten years before that's right anyone knew about it. And <laughs> when you look at you know, it, it was it was such a, a an amazing looking aircraft for that time because you look at it and go, how the hell does that fly? And the only reason it flies is because it's got a computer that it's constantly making slight adjustments to keep it in the air. And if any one of those, uh, if that computer fails at any one time, it just falls out of the sky and it has because of that. So, um, you know, it's just because you've, with the technology has been there that you can actually uh, that you can have aircraft like even the I think the F thirty five the F twenty two is they're all unstable they don't they even as the, even right. the F sixteen isn't stable isn't a, isn't a stable aircraft everything's fly by wire so you yeah that's it's pilot, crazy technology yeah yeah the pilot moves uh, moves the joystick and the computer goes all right. This is what you want to do. You want to pitch forward. Well, okay, I can this and this much. Well, all right, I'll do that in a way that the aircraft will still be able to fly. So, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy technology. People don't realize, right, like they're writing code now on DNA cells, right? Look at that. Yeah. I won't go into now, but Microsoft's bringing out a DNA hard disk. <laughs> like, can you imagine yeah. what they really got? Well, even like Elon was just mentioning about how they've got the um, uh, the chip that they can put in people's brains. They had the first Neuralink. trial and it seemed to work. So, yeah, Neuralink. So, yeah, so that's coming along as well. So you can and do it. that's what I mean. Like all yeah. these things are possible. It's not really aliens or magic to me. It's all actually tech. Like you, really, you know, probably know as well, right? So 2016 or 18, they teleported a molecule. The Chinese have done it. Uh, I think two other countries have done it as well. It's not, yeah. And like eventually, he's like, can you imagine what they turn that into? And yeah, I got. I want to ask you actually a little bit about Elon, because um, obviously you've been following him 
and the and the Mars, you know, stuff. What do you what are your thoughts about all that? Uh, is that something you follow closely or not really? Yeah, like I still uh, get amazed watching the rockets land, uh, landing back on on the ground. You know, that's you know, yeah. you know, that's cool. I, I got to see the space shuttle. I got, so I got to see space shuttle Atlantis in Kennedy Space Center really far up. I was really close up and I just, it looks like it should still be flying. And yeah, it's kind of a little disappointing, disappointing that it, you know, you've gone back to capsules, but you know, there's that thing of like, no, you can't land rockets. And he goes, I'll show you. And, you know, within a year or so, Boeing and and Lockheed Martin, which were used, to, you know, which were like Motorola and and Nokia, they had the whole market overnight. As soon as that one landed, um, they were yeah. outdated, and they've yeah. So even like it's for me, it's been annoying seeing how much I think the US, the FC, uh, FFA have. Um, been stuffing them around with Starship. Um, I think there's a bit of payback from the US government there. Uh, but, you know, I, it's good to see. Like, I love, uh, you know, a bit of a SpaceX fanboy. Um, but, you know, I'm always cautious in the fact that there does need to be competition. And, you know, I, I kind of, you know, Bezos, Jeff Bezos is with his Blue Origin it would be great to see him, you know, getting, you know, they started before um, SpaceX yeah. and they've done very, you know, they haven't done as much as SpaceX have. And, you know, usually when you find the, the you know, when the, the creator finishes up at the uh, business, it's usually that person maintains and maybe grows the business and then they become either a tyrant or, the, you know, they or the business collapse when the third person starts running it. So it's always nice to have a bit of competition there. And I think they're supposed to be launch. Uh, Blue Origin are supposed to be launching their uh, Blue uh, New Glenn rocket, which is supposed to be going up against uh, Starship or Spaceship, and or Starship, and it's called. Uh, and yeah, so that's supposed to be launching this year. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes uh, because. Yeah, it is it is good to see that the uh, that we've got into the commercial side of things and you can have businesses that are launching uh, rockets and launching them for uh, so much cheaper than what was previously before. Like the, the space shuttle was a, every time it launched, it was half a billion yeah. dollars, you know, $500 million where, you know, a reused falcon 9 can cost as little as 10 million dollars and you can launch a couple of satellites so it's even cheaper for people as well so and yeah so there's even there's even smaller companies like firefly uh rocket labs that are going for low earth orbits launches and they're coming along there's syria nevada with their uh it's uh, with their little space plane, uh, which will be servicing uh, the International Space Station, and looks like it will it will actually get there ahead of Boeing with their Starliner um, spacecraft, which you know, 
is uh, has having all sorts of troubles. So um, it's what it just may a does is it makes a space uh, more accessible to to the public for you know for telecommunications, satellites, uh, you know, re- univer- uh, you know, universities for science experiments and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's, you know, we're, we're entering another kind of golden era for space travel. Yeah, it's kind of, that's what I was going to say. It feels like we're kind of entering a golden era. Like when was the Wright brothers? And now, like now look, and like. Of, yeah, my, almost the beginning of the, uh, yeah, just I at know. the very beginning of this uh, 20, 20th century. So it's it took, crazy. It took and less like, than a de- yeah. Yeah, less than, a, yeah, it's crazy. And like, I just think about my son, he's 16 now and I'm just thinking like, wow, like what is he really going to see? I think going back to Elon, the competition thing, that you said is good. I'm a bit torn with Elon and like some of these guys sometimes, but because here's the thing what tears, not tears me, but sometimes I think uh, it's like, should we really be spending all this money, right, to go to Mars when there's like people starving? Right? I'm like, shouldn't we fix this planet first, right? And then I argue with myself and I'm like, it's not just about being interplanetary species, Ira. It's about what we can learn and just think about the stuff like, for people like you and me, right, that are into this kind of stuff, and obviously you're way deeper and smarter than me, right? I'm just a hobbyist, right? But from what I was taught when I was a kid to what we know now, like it's fucking, it's mind-blowing, like how much we're learning and what's changing. And, you know, like even, so going back to Mars, right, like I actually wanted to ask you about that. So anyone who follows it closely, right, probably doesn't realise, but there's a lot of water on Mars, or there appears to be a lot more than what we initially thought. The other thing is the air is quite thin, but to about, I think they're saying 10, NASA's saying 10 to 15 feet, it's like being at altitude on Earth. So, you know, there's, they're sort of suppressing information as well, right, which I kind of understand because um, I'd want to keep that stuff a secret too. But um, if you go looking, it's actually not that hard to find. You know, there's stuff that looks like this plant matter there. So, yeah, I'm kind of torn between, like, you know, spending the money on space and it's like fixing things here. But I, th- I think what you said, I think it's important uh, for the competition and for – because, look, eventually, right, I don't know, but eventually it's – the sun's going to, it's going to burn out. And humans have to, you know, get themselves technologically to a point where, you know, we can do what Tesla said, fold space or whatever and be anywhere else instantly. But I think that's probably like, you may be talking like a million years away, you know? Yeah. um, There, there's particularly with the space race, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who uh, who got into became engineers, rocket scientists, and that and uh, got into the sciences because of the Apollo missions. So there is that intangible thing of uh, yeah. Well, what you said about wanting the to like, yeah, yeah. So uh, so it, it is. You know, it's very important to to be able to you know get people to get into into learning that you know i you know i wasn't the best student at school but i you know i um i had i found something that i loved and i got in, you know got massively into it and i wanted to learn and the, i took those skills of what i learned how i learned into learning other stuff like i had my dad's 
also saw that I had issues with reading. I didn't want to read books and he'd had the same thing and uh, as a kid. And But my nanny and poppy had got him Asterix comics and he well, he tried to get me into Asterix and I just could not stand Asterix comics. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah. um, I was Tintin, uh, Tintin and Star Wars comics. And so I oh, read yeah, nice. those uh, and I got into reading and, you know, from comic books I read started reading you know young adult novels and then I wrote then I'm reading novels and I I I do it's one of the things I do like to read I like you know for someone who when I was a kid you couldn't put me in front of a book and tell me to read it I just would not read it myself uh and I now I do I like reading and you know out of out of the space program you wouldn't get um digital cameras you know, that was developed, you know, those, the chips on the back of your phone uh, that are, you know, now you have a couple of cameras on your phone. You don't get those. Yes. You don't get CAT scans, uh, LEDs you don't get because uh, if you don't have a space program, um, you know, even they've, uh, landmine removal is, um, is, has some help there. Athletic shoes, uh, foil blankets, water, fu- uh, water purification systems. Even you, you know, your your dustbuster comes from home insulation. These are all that stuff that comes from uh, from the space program. Uh, memory phone. If you've got a really nice mattress, uh, adjustable smoke de- uh, detectors, baby formula, artificial yeah. limbs. You even Those tiles on the outside well, of the space shuttle, yep. the tiles on the outside. <laughs> yep, portable. Yeah, you, know, you my. I'm I'm sitting here in front of a laptop, and I, you know, so there's a lot of spin-off stuff. And one of the other things is, and it's not, and it's not so much of a, it's it's going to happen really soon, or uh, but uh, Stuart Gary li- uh, likes to have the joke of. Um, uh, asteroids uh, and meteors are the universe's way of asking how's that space program going. So, you know, yeah, we, wow. we know we know we know where all the planet killers are. We know where all the city killers are. Um, you know, there are still some asteroids out there that look. We, just, you know, the 2013 one in that uh, exploded over Chelyabinsk in Russia. You know. It didn't. The actual ex, the um, the explosion or and shockwave didn't do any didn't injure anyone. It was actually the people seeing the flash and then thinking it was a nuclear bomb and going to their windows. Then the shockwave coming in and blowing the windows in the, that caused five thousand people to be hurt. And I think a few there's a few agencies there realize actually we got to focus on. Uh, on these uh, asteroids and get a real idea of how many are there. Um, and that, you know, that was the size of a, uh, probably about a basketball at the beginning. So, and by yeah. the end, it, it actually survived and hit, uh, broke through the ice of a lake and, you know, it was less than the size of a cricket ball. So that's another re- good reason why you need to have a space program as well. So, and, you know, it's a, it's a really, it's even here in West Australia, you know, it's it's coming out what we're doing and that we should, we we do stuff really well here, but it uh, it in you know it's it's you know we can we do punch above our own weight here in West Australia and it, there is some you know there's some good jobs to be able to work on so 
and particularly I, I've done I've done Perth to uh, to LA. And uh, I tell you what, <laughs> if you could see, if you could, if I could get on a rocket and get to the US in in an hour or, or hour or two, I would much prefer that than a uh, you know stay overnight in Malaysia and then fly it onto yeah. Taiwan <laughs> and then go to uh, fly across the Bering Strait down the coast uh of america past seattle where i was supposed to be going to and then having to land in la and then catch it you know being in la for a couple of hours and then catch another flight back up to seattle like i you know that was torture <laughs> so i was yeah. you know that's you know particularly for west australia for australians uh travels you know if, if they can get down the um safety of rockets and space planes it's going to be making uh holidays a lot easier to get to it and also people to come to australia as well because i've got friends in america who would love to come out to australia and they go oh not the you yeah, couldn't distance. doing the, the distance so yeah yeah well there's yeah. a few there's quite a few commercial companies looking into it like what do you call it this low orbit flight thing yeah it's amazing the difference that it can make in time yeah, so it's it's um, and and there's so many things that come you know can come out of it that you wouldn't even necessarily think would come out of the space race. Like oh, you know, yeah, we have Wi we, we have Wi-Fi, but that actually came out of guys who are trying who who are yeah. in the medical is CSIRO, and they were working on medical technology, but it's now used for IT. And that's so yeah, it's you never know yeah, when I don't the even, next discovery is gonna happen. I don't even get Wi Fi, eh? Like what is Wi Fi? Do you know what I mean? Like, because I'm fifty years old, Matt. So I come from like, you know, when I first I first saw Pong at a party in about nineteen eighty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you remember that game on the TV yeah. two bars? Like, oh yep. and I was like, Whoa, what's this? And like now, like, you know, there was no mobile phones when I, I got my first mobile phone about early nineties, I think first internet connection 96 and it's just it constantly blows me away which actually one of my questions i got here i wanted to ask you what is the craziest of all the stuff that you've you know learned about space what's one of the craziest facts or one of the things that's like kind of blown you away the most where you because you just said there you know we learn things all the time that aren't necessarily what you would think is related yeah what's one of the what's the what do you reckon is the craziest thing you've learned about space through all this um, one of the coolest things, like it's craziest things, is probably like the fact that there are galaxies that are on the other side of the universe that appear that they appear to be moving faster than the speed of light. But that's only because we're moving in one direction and they're going in the opposite direction. And at some point, they will they will actually, we won't see them anymore because we're just moving so fast away that the observable, they'll disappear from the actual observable universe. So that's, you know, particularly, and particularly quantum physics and that kind of stuff, that's where my brain starts going overload, yeah. overload. But, like, there oh, are some really cool, there's some cool stuff even in this, in here in the solar system, like um, Io. Uh, Io is a moon, is the closest of the four Galilean moons of Jupiter. 
it orbits with uh, very close to Jupiter, uh, and its orbit isn't isn't perfectly circular, as is. Euro is that the one with the big dent in it? It's got like a big. Dent uh, in it, no, it's the one with four hundred volcanoes, and about hundred and fifty oh, right. of them are going off at any one time. <laughs> uh, and that's so. Uh, so the four Galilean moons. There's Io, Europa, which has the ocean underneath the ice crust that has more water than Earth. Ganymede yeah. is the biggest moon in the solar system. It's bigger than Mercury, and it has its own iron core, uh, liquid iron core like the Earth. So it's got its own magnet. It's the only moon to have a magnetic field. And then Callisto is the punching bag of the solar system. Uh, it's the most heavily uh, created. Yeah. But the reason why Io, Europa, and Callisto uh, and Ganymede are so interesting in terms of having like volcanoes, uh, water, uh, ocean, water, ocean, and Iron, liquid iron core is they're, they're in a, what's called a one two four residence. So for every one orbit of uh, of Ganymede, Europa goes around twice, and Io goes around four times. Their orbits aren't perfectly circular as well. So not only do they get squeezed by Jupiter when they're at their closest point, but they when they're at their closest points to each other, they'll squeeze them as the, each other. So they keep their cores really nice and warm. Now with Io, it actually orbits so. As uh, it's, we have planet, uh, planets like Earth, Jupiter will have these things called Van Allen belts. So they're ra- char- um, radiation caught in the magnetic field of the planets that is used to protect them from, uh, and that ch- those belts protect particularly Earth from deadly radiation that could affect us and give us cancer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Io actually orbits around in the inner Van Allen belt for Jupiter. So when uh-huh. it actually has, when its, volca- when its volcanoes go off, a lot of that material falls back onto the, uh, onto the moon, but some of it gets transported along the magnetic field lines to the north and, and south pole of Jupiter. And you can actually, wow. so it gives... Uh, Jupiter, um, that sulfur um, can interact with the auroras and give different colors than what we have here on Earth as well. But also you can actually see Io in the uh, the aurora on Jupiter as Io orbits around because of the the volcanic ash and that and the fact that it's orbiting in one of the magnetic fields, which is just fantastic. So you can see that from Earth. Yeah, so you can put in Io, so literally I, the letter I and O, and put in Jupiter Aurora, and you will it will have um, it will have the images, and they'll point out where Io is, um, and it also causes electrical storms on the surface uh, uh, on the in the clouds uh, of Jupiter as it rotates around. So it's it's pretty. I think amazing. I've seen some images of that. Yeah, that's crazy yeah. stuff. I think. Maybe when James Webb went past there, there might have been some photos. Yeah, and, and you can even there's like you can even see uh, Europa and Ganymede in there as well. But it's Io that that is so bright in the emissions in the, of the aurora. So yeah, it's it's a it's it's an amazing place, world. So. It's such a wild thing. Like when I just stand outside and look up, sometimes the thing that gets me is just the sheer weight in numbers, like. It's just insane. It's hard for us little humans to fathom. And when and yeah, and like when we go out, like we, we thought when we started finding planets around other star uh, stars, we, you know, we thought Ooh, our planet, our, 
Yeah. We thought our solar system would be the norm. Yeah. And we're finding, at least for the moment, no, it's not. It's Well, um, this is what I mean by things have changed since I was a kid. Like when I was a kid, we were taught the Earth's it. Right now, they've got names. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we're finding we're finding Jupiter-sized planets around stars. Like the very first one we found was um, Michel Mayor and his uh, student, oh, his assistant Didier found it in 1995. It's around the 51 Pegasus, so the 51st brightest star in yes, yes. the constellation Pegasus. And it is, twi- is twice the size of Jupiter and it orbits its star every four days. And so it's tidally locked. So one side gets absolutely That's baked. That's got to have the, life, eh? Well, uh, no, it's it's incredibly hot. Uh, so oh. the, the thinking was, well, maybe you know, maybe one side is baked, one side on the the dark side that never sees the star is cold, and then maybe maybe life could be in the, in that sunset uh, sunrise area yeah, but they've yeah. actually been now they've been able in the last 10 years or so they've been able to study some of these star uh, these planets and particularly this one and they find that even though it's tightly locked that one side gets baked the winds from uh from are so fast that it transports that heat to the back side of that planet to the dark side there and it it's just sweltering and these things actually bloat up as well because of uh how much heat there is so yeah it's like that could have easily been our solar system with jupiter jupiter formed the very first uh it was the first planet to form and it was gobbling up so much material that it's uh it started to slow down in its orbit because of drag stole a lot of mars's material so mars should actually be bigger than it is. It's about half the size of Earth. And it was really only the fact that Saturn formed where it was, where they're in a one to two residence. So for every one orbit of Saturn, uh, Jupiter go, went around twice. And yeah. they them, they brought themselves where they are today. And in the process, we think it's kicked out another gas giant and also caused Uranus and Neptune to switch. Uh, and, you know, we think, it's one of the. It's a, It's again. You know what we've modelled, what astronomers have modelled, and uh, but it's the best theory. And the reason that comes out is because when you look at craters on Venus, Mars, Mercury, the Moon, uh, there there's a whole bunch, particularly on the dark side of the Moon. Uh, they're roughly around the same age, so something was something was sending. Uh, huge amounts of asteroids into the inner solar system to the point that it was basically a shooting gallery. And yeah, well, that's, that's the younger, yeah, so that's, isn't that the younger Dryas theory? Is that that? It's called the, the late young... heavy bombardment. So uh, yeah, so okay. it's because I listened to Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson a fair bit, and they describe a period or several periods like that, and like depending on what you believe, right, the ancient Sumerian texts actually say this has happened like six times before hmm. where like, and, you know, I think the last one was 12,000 years. This is the theory. The younger Dryas, we come into a belt. I think 
I'm going to get this all wrong, right? But like, yes, certain or Jupiter grabs this stuff, pulls it into our orbit, and, and it lasts over a period of years, but you get a lot of impacts around about the same time. There is also the, so there's so you've got the asteroid belt between Jupiter and Mars. Uh, there are the Trojans that are in front of uh, Jupiter and uh, behind and in front of Jupiter in its orbit in the Lagrange one and two point uh, Lagrange points there, uh, which are stable orbits where you can put something and it will stay there uh, without having to use too much um, fuel. Then there's okay. uh, the centaurs, which are out near uh, around uh, it's Uranus, which are another bunch of uh, meteors or uh, asteroids. Then once you get past um, Neptune and into where Pluto and that and beyond, you reach what's called the Kuiper Belt. And this, so this is the reason Pluto fails as a planet is even though it's big enough to form itself into a sphere and that it orbits uh, the sun it's failed to clear out its local neighborhood of other foreign bodies. So this is uh, where it all okay. called the Kuiper belt, which is like the asteroid yes. belt, but as icy bodies. Right. Even I've there's heard a theory. This, yeah. yeah. And then there's what's, we think there's the Oort cloud and this is an actual sphere of uh, ice, uh, icy long-term comets. So uh, something like Comet Halley is a short term, even though it's 76 years, uh, it comes back into this inner solar system and it, uh, last December it hit its furthest point and now it's coming back towards the solar system. Uh, that's what's called a, that's a short-term comet. Uh, there yeah. are comets like Hale-Bopp back in 1997, uh, Comet McNaught back in 2006, Lovejoy uh, in 2014. These these are these are ones that are called long-term comets, and their orbits are like 25,000 years, 10,000 years. These guys are coming, and they normally that's that's the very first time they're coming into the inner solar system, and they come from what's called the Oort cloud, and that's theorized to be anywhere between a third of a light year out from the sun or almost a light year out from the sun. And so if a star passes by this Oort cloud, it can uh, distort a lot of that Oort cloud material and send that into the inner solar system as well. So that's probably one of the ideas of how Earth got its yeah. water with some comets from far out. Um, okay. But the ones that we have been looking at so far, the chemical makeup isn't um, isn't matching up with the water in our oceans. So again, yeah, it's interesting. One of the, yeah, it's always interesting. Then there's always, you know, what you might have a hypothesis of how something should work, but. Yeah, if it if it doesn't end up turning out what you think, it usually is another. It's in uh, it's going to present another interesting way of uh, you lead you down to more different questions as well. So yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, there's always plenty of those, especially when it comes to this stuff. So basically, what you're saying is there is stuff in like close orbit and stuff that's further out that does come. Yeah, every so often because uh, that's the one thing that's always concerned me, right? And, um, you know, mate of mine actually and I, we had a bet um, years ago, right, uh, like what's going to be zombie apocalypse, right? And I said asteroid strike and he said pandemic, so he won the bet. But, um, you know, going back to what you are saying, like I follow the asteroid tracking thing too. 
like there's big ones coming past the earth all the time. Do you think we should be like, is that something we should be like focusing on? Because, you know, like you said, the other one's relatively small. And we 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 know the size of the craters. The the, the Earth's got the scars. And it, when when you actually start looking and observing, you like, I was just like, how has this somehow not happened yet? But are we sort of across that, or is it just random luck? We haven't been hit yet. What are your thoughts about all that? You know, like city killers. Um, we're doing a very good job of picking them up. So you know, we can always see if you know, like there's one that called Apophis and that's the one that's supposed to be hitting us really soon but the more we study it the more the atmosphere uh, the the more the calculations of its orbit changes so it will be very very close but um, it won't hit us and you know we've got we we now have the ability like we had the DART mission last year which hit uh, an asteroid called Didymus and um, it has a a little moon called Diamorph. Uh, it's it hit the moonlet, uh, Diamorphus, I think it was. And they were only hoping to change the orbit by, you know, maybe seconds to a couple of minutes. The, yeah. we, the, uh, it actually ended up changing the orbit so much that it's, its orbit is about 30, it changed its orbit by 35 minutes. So, yeah, so if you can impact. catch, like, if yeah, if you catch it quite, and you you we would probably know, we'll probably know in the next five years probably all the city killers or so because there's the, um, I think it's called the Vera Rubin telescope. It used to be called the, um, yeah, so it's called the Vera C Rubin Observatory, uh, but it was yeah. originally called the Large Synoptic Survey. And this thing will be is expected to open. The first light will be January twenty twenty five. But this thing will be looking at the night sky, and it will capture images of the entire visible sky from the southern hemisphere in a few might in a few nights. So it will actually uh, wow. it will collect twenty terabytes of data per night, uh, wow. and so it will know what's out there, and forewarning is the best way to do it because if you can if you catch it a while it's so far out or you know well before the date of it's supposed to be hitting earth well you you don't have to do too much to disturb the orbit um like even something like painting half the side yeah uh, they use like a reflection paint yeah yeah so you, you don't have to go and you know you can. It's easy just to smack it with like a little impactor and disturb its yeah. orbit. Because um, that's the key, yeah, isn't pretty, it? The early warning. Yeah, yeah, and like they still they do war games where um, uh, where the space agencies come together and they uh, someone puts a plan saying, "Hey, this asteroid's coming. Uh, what happened? You've got seven years. Blah blah blah." Yeah, I'm uh, sure they rehearse they're getting, it. They're getting yeah. a they're getting a lot better at actually uh, saving the day. I think what there was they uh, they'd saved Earth uh, uh, a number of war games, and then there was some miscommunication on one, and that caused the uh, the asteroid to take out. Uh, it, I think it was originally it was going to hit um, Brussels. Then it something happens. 
this impactor didn't hit it properly, so it ended up hitting New York or something like that. So, uh, so yeah, so well, it's scary shit because like the the holes, the some of the scars, like the size of some of the holes that have happened before. But this technology yeah. that you're saying, so this could literally be like a civilization saver because, like I said, depending on what you believe, right? But the, a lot of the Sumerian texts and a lot of other stuff is now starting to line up with, especially like a big event around the younger drivers period. So it could literally be like saving mankind. Yeah. So, and that's another good reason for having your space agency. And, and the fact that you, yeah, you don't like, it's, it's not one of those things that people should really be like, you know, worried about oh, it could happen any day. Like, you know, no. Earth's been around for 4.5 billion uh, years. And while, we, you know, we do say, look, the, the solar system is still under construction. Uh, it is, you know, it's, you know, we know where stuff is. And, you know, I, I suppose the easiest way of seeing is if you see a, an astronomer racing for their car and trying, you know, driving out to the centre of a country, well... That's the time you need to start running as well. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I just find it uh, so fascinating, eh? So, one thing I did want to ask you as well. Um, I got a couple of like questions, and then we'll start wrapping it up. But um, what's the most common question that people generally ask you? Like, what's the most thing that people want to know when they see Saturn? Uh, they say, oh, is that fake? Is that just an image that you put on? Yeah, I can't believe <laughs> uh, the quality. Yeah, maybe they probably won't be getting a lot of those questions back in uh, is it next next year when uh, the rings are edge on. Um, oh, yeah, they move. It has, it has yeah. so yeah, so Saturn is on a 23 de- uh, degree incline, so very much like the Earth, so it's got seasons. Yeah. Um, you do get the have you you know are you you know you ask a lot of the like questions are like you know do you think we've been to the moon? Um, well, I've got that like, on my list of questions to ask you. <laughs> I uh, it's something like four hundred people, uh, yeah. four hundred thousand people worked on the uh, on that program. Um, yeah. I I don't know about you, but governments can't keep you know they say they can keep a secret I got a theory. But, you know, there's forever leaking so and, and there, I got a, there's i got a theory I, i'm sorry to interrupt you i've got a theory real quick on the moon lander right what i reckon happened right is this i reckon they went they faked some of the press shots right because we won't get into it now but if you do a bit of digging right there's definitely some stuff that doesn't add up right i reckon yeah. they actually went but they just to try because you know hey man journalists will tell you right never let the truth get in the way of a good story right story. and i reckon like you know look into stanley kubrick and the people that he was hanging around with at the time right so i reckon they just faked some press shots and then realized yeah. later oh we probably shouldn't have done that kind of thing but i don't think there's any doubt they went it's just yeah yeah but and it's just, it's just a novelty question to ask you there's that there's that there's that conspiracy theorist that i uh, got a uh got an introduction to Buzz Aldrin's fist uh, back in the 90s. I've seen well. that so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that was a nice hook shot there well, that he had uh, that Buzz gave him. So um, I'll tell you but, the other uh, way to prove yeah. that they went to the moon, right? Parks. Yeah. Like, like you know, those guys cool. that – if you if you watch the movie uh, the movie yeah. you know, they they did actually move that dish they risked their lives uh, 
to right. get and yeah so um it's a great movie the dish it's listeners yeah. if you haven't seen it you got to see it it's one of the best movies you'll it's best australian movies you'll ever see and yeah when people start banging on about moon landings i normally just say that <laughs> the dish yeah and a lot of them is like a lot is like how, uh, how far away stuff is or um the uh, fact that you can mathematically calculate it, you know, like that's the kind of stuff that blows my mind. There's people that have basically said, if you point a telescope here, there's going to be this, and they do, and it's there, and that fucking blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, we get lots of questions like, oh, how do we know stars are old or young or, you know, uh, what, and, you know, we could, astronomers have put light through, um, spectrographs so you'll get the rainbow effect uh and you'll see these uh black lines in the um in the rainbow and we can work out what elements are in the coming in in that light and so we can work out by you know if if this has quite a lot of um oxygen and nitrogen then the star is probably most likely coming towards the end of its life because a star will convert hydrogen into helium and then when it becomes its red giant phase, once it gets really old, uh, it will start to, the core will heat up and start fusing helium into other elements. Uh, and so yeah. by the time it dies, you have the core of the star of the, uh, will actually look like an onion with different layers of hydrogen, helium. If it's a star like our sun, probably just oxygen, carbon, then iron. Uh, but yeah. bigger stars will have, you know, night, you know, all these different, uh, elements so um and also like how how do we know stuff is far away or how far away it is and so for a lot of this you know basically a lot of the stars what we use is a parallax method so we take a photo of a star um in say january and then we wait six months and we take another photo uh and then we combine those images and then work out the par- uh, the parallax or the you know basically it's Pythagoras' theorem and work out the, the the distance through there. But once you get to galaxies, uh, it's the distances are so far that the uh, that you have to start using what are called uh, standard candles. So these are Cepheid variable stars. These are stars that are, are variable um, stars. So they brighten and they decrease in brightness, but they have a uh, a set brightness. Uh, there's also Type 1A supernovas. These are guys that uh, these are stars that have um, died. They've become white dwarfs, but they're around a sibling star. So uh, and then they suck material off the parent star like a parasite. And with white dwarfs, they can only get so big. Uh, they can get to. The limit is uh, 1.44 times the mass of our sun, and that's called the Chandrasekhar limit. And once they explode, uh, once they hit that point, they explode. So the brightness is always the same uh, that we think, and so that's another way of measuring it. But now we're at, we are there is a crisis, as they call it in cosmology, in that as we're getting further and further and further, the um, the data that we're getting from Hubble, uh, James Webb, and uh, and some of the really big telescopes here on Earth aren't matching up. So, you know, we do say the universe is thirteen point eight billion years old, but uh, that's that's kind of got to have an asterisk to it at the moment. So, yeah. 
Man, I don't know how you remember all that. <laughs> Where do you store that information? Uh, uh, it's it's yeah. There's um, it's just. I guess you know, when it's just, a passion, it's easy. Yeah, it's a passion, and also uh, you know, it helps when you know you get a lot of you do a lot of night sky tours, and you get all these questions as well. So yeah. Man, it's so interesting. It's so fascinating. It kind of makes you realize too, like how much the still that we still got to figure out. Yeah, and you know, we're you know we're only just you know we it, Hubble opened such an enormous door to the universe. You know, it's imagine like having a having a sheet uh, um, halfway in a room and you can kind of just makes it's trans, slightly translucent. You can kind of see slightly beyond it and then have that take away. And that was what Hubble was. And we've had to wait 11 years longer than we wanted to. And it's it cost us, tw- uh, cost the Americans $12 billion more than they were expecting. But James Webb is doing the same thing as well. So, uh, and you know, here in here in West Australia, you've got the square kilometer array being built, and yes. you know, the best telescopes in the world are in Hawaii and the Atacama Desert with the European Southern Observatory. That's for optical telescopes. The best telescope, radio telescope, um, uh, in the world is going to be in Western Australia. So, uh, it's you know, we're you know we're really helping to improve our knowledge of space and astronomy and yeah, it's we're, we're into, and we've also got, we're coming into the next couple of years. We'll have the Vera Rubin telescope running. We'll have uh, the extremely large. So the biggest telescope the Europeans have in the Southern observatory, uh, European Southern European observatory is called the very large telescope. But in the next couple of years, they're going to have the extremely large telescope come online, which is nearly 30 meters. Uh, the Americans are kind of stalled in their 30 meter telescope because they've got issues with the local Hawaiian uh, tribes that are holding up uh, building um, uh, the building of the observatory because they're limited to how many observatories they can have on the mountain um, due to Hawaiian customs and agreements. So, you know, we're, we're entering a, a dawn of massive big telescopes uh, like we had in the early, uh, early 90s as well. So our knowledge of our, what, what we'll be able to see further in, uh, further, it will be massively increase with these telescopes. Yeah, and I can only see like more and more money coming into it because, you know, like I said, I don't really get into conspiracy theories and Illuminati and all that, but definitely you don't have to be blind for any to see that, you know, the military-industrial complex, you know, runs a lot of stuff, you know, in the world. And where's the next place? Like, Because I actually got a bit of a theory, right? I think not that wars are over, but that big world wars, right, are kind of over. So where's the next place, right, space? And that's the next sort of frontier. It's the next place that you not want to control, but, you know, the Americans now, China's going up there, India, you know, they've been to the moon now. There's all sorts of stuff happening. So I think what will happen is you'll find a lot of money gets spent on it, you know, and because there's so much to learn and it's a bit of a, in some ways I reckon it's a growth industry, you know, like not the earth's done, but you know what I mean? Like in terms of military really now, like 
what else is there to do on the earth, right? They've got all the shit they need kind of thing. I think space is where you'll find a lot of money getting spent. And it's exciting, like, coming into this kind of an, an era. Um, one thing I did want to ask you about as well, um, I've got two more questions and then we'll wrap it up. So I, um, one thing I was already being curious about, because I'm kind of right into ancient Egypt and all that stuff as well, and I always wanted to ask someone with your sort of knowledge, like, um, without going into it too much, obviously you probably know, like their knowledge that they had of, you know, all sorts of stuff. And I'm talking about stuff that you couldn't see, even if you had a telescope. There's a lot of, you know, knowledge and, mate, the positioning of the, you know, pyramids, which, you know, in some ways is kind of amazing, but also it's like, well, it's not that hard to work out where north and south is. But I just wondered if you'd ever delved into that, like, you know, ancient civilizations and their knowledge of the stars. Yeah, um... I don't like. I don't have too much knowledge of like what's uh, of it um, of ancient Egypt and uh, you know their their knowledge and their stories of the sky. It is something that's um, it can actually. I did go and t- see a talk about how they um, by one of my friends who uh, was on how they did cal- um, their calendars, um, and it was fascinating. Like I. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting to see how the um, the Great Pyramids were in the shape of Orion and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, how did they yeah, know? <laughs> and you know, they're able to line it up, you know, really perfectly. Like, as though if you go back, if you the stars slightly move throughout the uh, since yeah. their time. So, but when you put back the stars to where they are today. Uh, you know they are. You know those. You know the, the the little holes in the pyramids that the starlight can go straight down to the coffins, uh, the sarcophagus, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, uh, I, you know, apart from I do one of my favourite ones is Stargate. Uh, <laughs> so oh, I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do like watching Stargate. Uh, and yeah, you know, love Anubis and Apophis and you know Baal and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's. It's one of those things that does it actually does you know make you want to actually uh, look into the into ancient cultures uh, knowledge of the, of the sky. Yeah, well, it makes you wonder, and two things it makes me wonder: a, like, how did they know, and why was it so important to them? You know, and like, because I've never really been one to think that constellations uh, affect us too much, but the the older I get, and the digger, the the more I dig. The, the more I wonder, especially these Particular- old ancient civilizations, and not just Egypt, yeah. but like Inc- Incas, like that's a whole other realm there. What they were doing, they yeah. had the, they worked it all out. Particularly with the Egyptians, a lot of it was uh, was making sure that they knew uh, they knew what part of the year it was, so that they were ready for the flooding of the Nile, so that they could plant their crops. Time, yeah, um, time. Yeah, yeah. So that is a big thing. Um, and a lot, yeah, a lot of it does come from, uh, and you know, you see that, you know, you do see, you do see the planets move throughout the year. Like I, you know, it was only a cu- as twenty twenty. If you have a look in the night sky at the moment, like Saturn is almost setting, or uh, is setting at um, around sunset, but we yeah. still got Jupiter half. You know, it, uh, in the north, well, a couple of 
couple of years ago, back in 2020, in December, they were able to be seen in the night sky, uh, in the same eyepiece. So the planets basically were uh, the Greek way of called wanderers. So, um, yeah. and they were able to use, yeah, they were able to use the constellations that they saw. Uh, one of our volunteers mentions how, um, uh, it's the Greeks invented their stories roughly around the same time as they were inventing their wine. <laughs> so, but you know, they were able to create their own stories and for their, uh, you know, as well. So, so yeah, you probably find that there's been a lot of people uh, um, up late at night looking at the night sky, going, "Oh, look, that looks like that looks like a man," or you know, the Pleiades cluster, which is uh, if you go, if people go out in early evening and look north, you'll see this cloudiness um, about a full hand's width from uh, to the west uh, to the to the left of uh, the Orion constellation, and that in the Greek mythology is the daughters, the seven daughters of uh, Atlas, the Titan, and Pleione, the water nymph. And uh, Orion is watching them in the reeds as they bathe, and they run away and ask for Zeus for help, and he turns them into doves and then puts them into night sky. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't think that's very helpful. But, you know, and then he puts Orion in for his in the sky for his great deeds of being the most handsome man in the world and the um and also the greatest hunter he killed one of every animal but he puts the bull in the night sky which is taurus to protect him uh protect the um the uh, pleiades but in all these ancient cultures they're seen uh as um uh, most ancient cultures they're seen as seven women seven daughters um uh, and or seven wives so yeah so it is um you know you can see how as human civilization has left africa and gone around the world how these stories would have been modified or and that and or stayed the same as as humans have gone through africa to the middle east into europe into asia then down into australia and the uh, Polynesian islands and then across to North America and then down to South, um, South, uh, South America. So, Well, navigation's an obvious thing that they used it for, but yeah, I just wondered, and did you make the talk that you went to that your friend did, did they, he have any theories on how they could see some of this stuff or? Um, well, uh, they were able to, a lot of the stuff they were looking at was just, uh, well, naked eye stuff like they would be able to yeah. track the stars and con- they would track the constellations through the, uh, through the years. Uh, through the well, years. I know so, the way the South Americans yeah. Incans did it. They used to make these like circular ponds. They'd make these shallow pools, and it's like a reflection of the night yeah. sky. And they would position them, and they would mark like where the planets come up, where they came down, and they would do that. And then you can imagine over like a couple of years, you pretty much got it mapped and even i think that's how they knew like oh, a certain time in ahead you know it hasn't been here yet but that's how they were able to i think predict stuff you know like even just basic stuff like eclipses and yeah and like, and like stonehenge stonehenge is set up so that you know it was it's in in line for uh the the uh solstices and uh equinox as well and a lot of that was yeah, again, just was so that they were able to work. Uh, they were able to have some form of calendar. Um, yeah, throughout the year as well. 
it's just amazing to me how astrology and like the stars and space and all that like it's just a common theme all the way through any kind of ancient history that you study any rabbit hole you go down it seems to be kind of the one thing that ties everything together yeah oh well i think that's probably a good spot to wrap it up matt um no worries thanks thanks very much for your time i really appreciate it i'm gonna to have to go back and listen to it again because uh you've uh yeah oh so i could take it all in me but i actually think that's one of the things that you're really good at and that's why uh i mean like even a year or so ago i was thinking i gotta get that going because you, you really you have a good way of explaining it so that you know normal people like me can understand it and that's obviously that's why you're why you're good at your job Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's one of those things that I try to uh, try to be able to break it down into simple concepts so that people can yeah. understand it. Because we all start, you know, we all start at you know the beginning, and you if you can you make it easy on people, they can they uh, they're able to then start their own journey if they want to get into into astronomy. Um, and so yeah, it's uh, it's it's a great it's a great thing to a great hobby to have. It's uh, still you know it's, it's a little expensive, but not as expensive as it used to be. So that's always why I'm also glad of being a volunteer at the observatories. You know, I get to I it's, uh, I don't have to spend so much on my uh, hobby. I, you know, I've got all the telescopes here and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, even like you can, I mean, you can get pretty good telescope for like 500 bucks these days get you started mm. um so all right so just want, uh so the best place for anybody who's interested um i've got a lot of listeners all around the world actually but a lot of locals too so for any locals that are interested i guess the best place for them to go is just to the website which i'll put a link in the description but it's perthobservatory.com.au and that's the best way to sort of book the tours and get some more info yeah. about it yeah, and you, we've we've got pretty heavy on for, uh, social media as well. So you can follow us on Facebook. Just put in Perth Observatory. Oh, yeah. Twitter right. uh, is Perth Obs. Um, you know, Instagram. Uh, we're on Perth Observatory as well. Uh, so even if you got uh, LinkedIn, we're on there as well. So yeah, we we try to to really promote what's going on. So we promote podcasts. We promote you know latest news articles uh it's you know our upcoming events so yeah all right well thanks again matt for your time i really appreciate it um it's not always that easy to get people to come on here and talk but mate you're an absolute legend and i've actually got a bunch of questions i still want to ask you but two hours is too much so we'll call it and like if, if you come two. back sometime in the future like next year i'd like i'd love to have you back on or i'm gonna actually get my shit together and actually book a tour because my son's been asking me as well he wants to come so yeah we'll come out and uh in a couple of months when it gets a bit cooler and uh we can meet face to face then. So yeah, just want to say yeah. thanks again, man. Really appreciate your uh, time. Thanks for all your knowledge. No worries, and I'm happy to always come back on again as well. Intense chemistry, they expect a list when we sound the list. Western supremacy, intense.
intense chemistry. Best, best be aware, new blood starting to drip.